0: Could you turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Chronicles, chapter 15. <clears throat> just continuing my series um, on the uh, reign of King Asa. I'd like to backtrack a little bit to give context. It'll be the last message in this chapter. So uh, just uh, so we can see where we've been. Second Chronicles, chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, and then from verse 7. So we read in verse 1. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you, while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Verse 7. Be ye strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and all the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon, for they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord, his God, was with him. And they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. And they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil which they had brought, seven hundred oxen and seven thousand sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman." And they swear unto the Lord with a loud voice and were shouting and with trumpets and with cornets and all Judah rejoiced at the oath. For they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire and he was found of them and the Lord gave them rest round about. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Heavenly Father we do thank you for the good example Um, of this good King. Thank you for the lessons we've been able to learn already from his life and from his reign. And I pray that, Father, we might um, once again um, have things that we can learn, uh, perhaps a challenge that we need to accept. Whatever, Lord, it is, I pray that your Holy Spirit would use uh, this frail preacher uh, to your end and to your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, from What we've just read, and from our previous messages, it appears King Asa had performed the work, that's in verse 7, the work that God's prophet had called him to do. He had for the second time in his reign uh, tried to rid his kingdom of idolatry, and that's not an easy thing, (laughs) but he did. Not only that, he had been the catalyst for a revival of the worship of Jehovah. Whenever we see capital L-O-R-D, that's the Lord, Jehovah, their God. He was basically his efforts, I mean, uh, bringing, um, uh, calling people to this feast. It, uh, he, he was the catalyst, if you like, uh, for the, a revival of the worship of Jehovah. So he'd rid his kingdom of idolatry. Revival had come through his actions and uh, it seems that he was, he had had indeed done the work uh, that God had called him to do. But despite that, there was one notable member of his kingdom who had not complied with what he wanted. And that person, that one notable person was his mother, the queen mother. So what would he do with her? You know, many in power have one rule for the people and a different rule for themselves. They make the rule and they break the rule because they think that because they are the rulers, they don't have to keep the rules. So what would Asa do about his mother? Let's read verse 16. And also concerning Meachar, the mother of Asa, the king, he removed her from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove and Asa cut down her idol and stamped it and burnt it at the brook Kidron. The first thing we read that Asa did concerning his mother was that he removed her from being the queen. He took away the title and I presume all the privileges that went along with that title. It must have been clear to him that uh, if she remained queen, uh, she may have influenced others in her kingdom against his policy the, she could have been uh, behind uh, uh, again idolatry rising again in his nation now I assume <laughs> removing Maekar his mom uh, from being Queen wouldn't have been an easy thing to do but he didn't let his maternal relationship cloud his judgment And you know it can be easy to bend the rules for our own family or for our friends, it's called partiality. Uh, or in the modern age, it's called a conflict of interest. And you know, this uh, partiality or this conflict of interest, this favour, uh, knowing this person is our parent or our family member or our friend, it can make us favour our own over others. The Bible calls this having the Bible calls this having respect of others. And God hates it. Proverbs 28, 21 says, To have respect of persons is not good. James 2, 1 says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with respect of persons. God hates this partiality. God hates those in positions of power and leadership showing favourites for those of their own family or their friends good king asa wasn't partial towards his mother when he discovered the idol in her grove instead he it was because of her idolatry he stripped her of her position as queen so we can learn i believe from asa's example here how to lead our families how to run our ministries those who lead their families the mums and dads those who lead their ministry ministry directors and those who are who are responsible for others in ministry we need to learn from Jesus example and not show partiality but having said that it's it's harder than you might think it's it's just you're so drawn to those that you love over those that you don't it's easy to favor those that you love over those That you might not so we can learn from King Asa's example but as hard as it must have been for Asa King Asa did the right thing there were no exceptions when it came to idolatry not even for his mother the idols had to go and so that's the first action he took when he discovered his mother's idol Uh, he removed her from being Queen The second action Asa took was to destroy the idol and the grove. Now, we've seen before that the grove is the trees. There will be the idol and the trees around it. Uh, Well, actually, the the word uh, grove there means Asherah. Sometimes that is actually the god that they're they're actually worshipping. But there's an idol here and it's in a grove. And so when he discovered this, he not only removed his mother from being queen... Uh, he destroyed the idol and the grave. It says here that he cut down her idol and he stamped it and he burnt it at the brook Kidron. So in other words, he chopped up the idol and the grove of trees around it. Then he trod, trod, it to pulp and burned it at the brook Kidron. And you get the sense that he wasn't happy with his mother that day. <laughs> Just the language is pretty severe, isn't it? Here he was trying to rid his kingdom of the idols and his own mother was bending her knee to one of these idols. And I get the sense here that all that he did to this idol, he did next to the brook Kidron. I I expect that he took that idol down to the brook Kidron. It was a public place. And he wanted all to see that it didn't matter who you were, idols were banned. Now, the Hebrew word for idol here is an interesting one. It's the the only time in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where this Hebrew word appears, except for the other account of this this event in 1 Kings. Uh, The word idol is a different word from the other words that are translated idol. It's just here and and in the other account of this this event in 1 Kings, the word actually means something horrible. Uh, So... The something horrible in the grove. Now, maybe that's what Asa named his mother's idol as he chopped it up and as he stamped on it and as he burnt it. You know, I can see him doing all of those things, saying, you horrible thing, you horrible thing. Uh, perhaps uh, that's what he named this idol because of the terrible trouble it would have caused him. His mother's idolatry would have been something his enemies could have used against him. I could have threatened the revival that he had just instigated. This wasn't just any woman, this was the Queen Mother. And if she was an idol worshipper, it would have perhaps threatened all that he'd been working to do. Perhaps the language, this, this horrible thing, suggests to us that he was very angry and disappointed about what his mother had done. And friends, we can feel angry and disappointed when a family member or a friend or someone we serve the Lord with is found to have some hidden sin or some hidden idol. We, we hear something, we find out something and they're our friend or our family member and it, we get just so disappointed that they have done what they did. Their actions or their failure can spoil our family testimony or spoil our church's testimony. And so we need to be very careful of these idols that can spoil our testimony. The hidden idol of Maacar reminded me of the hidden idols of Rachel. Remember? Rachel tried to steal from her father. Hey, just go over, keep your little... Uh, I've got one of those little things in my Bible. I'll stick that in there in 2 Chronicles and go over to Genesis 31, please. Genesis 31. Just to remind us of uh, the story of what happened with Rachel. Genesis 31 and verse 17. You'll see the context when by reading the verses. Then Jacob rose up and said his sons and his wives upon camels and he carried away his cattle and all his goods which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting which he had gotten in Padan Aram for, the, uh, for to go to Isaac his father in the land of Canaan. And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. Laban, Laban's uh, images, uh, Laban's idols, uh, she'd stolen them. And so, and Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, in that he, did, he that he told him not that he'd fled. And I think you probably know the story, especially if you've been to Sunday school. But when Jacob made a run for it from his father-in-law. <laughs> Rachel, Jacob's wife, had stolen her father's idols and hidden them in her camel's uh, saddlebags. Now, think about it. Rachel was to become one of the mothers of the nation of Israel. And here she was, even her, at this time at least, even she worshipped idols. Idolatry is a common problem for sinful men. The Old and New Testaments have many warnings about idolatry. Uh, The second of the Ten Commandments is a warning against idolatry. It was the perennial problem of Israel in the time of the kings. It always kept popping up, its its evil head, the idolatry. Uh, One of the four decrees the Jerusalem Council had Paul deliver to Gentile believers was to abstain from meats offered to idols. That's in the New Testament. Idolatry is one of the works of the flesh listed in Galatians chapter 5. It was warned against by most of the New Testament writers. 1 Corinthians 10.14 says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Uh, 1 John 5.21, John begged those he wrote the epistle to, Little children, keep yourself from idols. But we mustn't think idolatry is just an ancient problem. Old Testament was written a long time ago. The New Testament was written a long time. Idolatry hasn't been confined to those particular eras. You know, we all seem to have a need to worship someone or something. And idolatry is never very far from us. And it may be closer than we think, even in our Western society. I have Indian neighbours. He's a doctor, very smart man. And they have a large picture and shrine to an Indian god in their living room for all to see. You go into the living room and there it is. Wow, and there's the picture and there's the shrine of one particular Hindu deity. You see, for me, idolatry is just over my fence. (laughs) But this is no different from the images of Mary and of Jesus and a host of Catholic saints that many in Kofsaba regularly pray to. And I've learned a few things about the saints that you can actually pray to when you have a specific need. Uh, Praying to St. Anthony when something is lost is a Catholic tradition. So if you've lost something, pray to St. Anthony. Or you can pray to St. Joseph if you're looking for a job. He's the saint of employment. There are, in fact, daily Catholic saints you can pray to and a calendar to help you remember which one is on which particular day a whole calendar for every single day, a different saint that you can pray to, to help you. And of course there are statues, medallions, and figurines of your favourite saint to help you pray. The Catholics, of course, and the Orthodox Christians, they deny that this is idolatry. But there's a test, it's not a theological test, but it is a very valid test on whether something is legitimate or genuine or to determine its identity. It's a very, you know, I hope you get this. Okay, I hope you understand, but it's called the duck test. Have you heard of it? If it looks like a duck and it swims like a duck, quacks like a duck, then it's probably a duck. So if it looks like an idol and they worship it like an idol and they pray to it like an idol, then guess what? It probably is an idol, breaks the second commandment. And all those warnings in the scriptures are against idolatry. The truth is, there's no difference praying to Saint Anthony when you've lost something than to praying to Arakasu Amen, the Hindu goddess of lost things. No difference which one you pray to. One is just a dead man, and the other is a demon. You see, idolatry is never far away, but it doesn't have to be related. To an organized religion. Jesus told us we can't serve God and Mammon. It's one or the other. Now, Mammon just means money or wealth. So, according to Jesus, money can be a God to replace the worship of the true God, the worship of Christ. So, money can be a God that some people worship and we know it's true the pursuit of wealth. Paul told us about those who are the lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And our affluent Western world has many pleasures that can become the object of worship. The worship of games. The Greeks loved their games. Uh, Of course, the Romans loved their blood sports. We're not far from that, are we? Uh, But the worship of games, the worship of sport, and not just the worship of the game, but those players who are idolised. They are, they're idolised. Love of music, especially rock music, that appeals to our lusts and its musicians who are worshipped as gods. Love of drugs and alcohol that many just can't go without. We might not have a statue of Mary or Ganesh hidden in our room, but we might have hidden in our hearts something. Or someone we worship instead or more than the true and living God. So brethren, let's flee idolatry. In whatever form it might appear to us, let's worship the Lord Jesus Christ and him only. King Asa was brave enough and godly enough to act without partiality and to put away the idolatry in his own house and maybe mums and dads that's something that you need to do too. be brave enough and godly enough to put away any idolatry that might be in your house perhaps your children perhaps yourselves but he was brave enough and godly enough to put away the idolatry from his own house so may we be equally as brave and equally as godly and so way back there in second chronicles chapter 15 we see that uh King Asa came through with his mum. But the chapter doesn't finish there. There's a few more verses. So let's go back there. 2 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 17. We read that uh, although he, he removed his mother from being a queen, although he stamped and smashed her idol at the book, Brook Kidron, we read, but the high places were not taken away out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was perfect in all his ways. So these high places, I think we might have um, I've talked about them before, but these were people's private altars to sacrifice and worship. Uh, they may have been uh, on a ridge or a hill, some high part in, in their in the, in the, in the paddocks or in their town. Uh, they may, may have been the A public altar built for certain villages or for certain towns, a a place that everybody in the village would come, uh, where there was an altar uh, to sacrifice. Um, Just have a look uh, quickly, 1 Kings chapter 3, 1 Kings chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2. We get a, a, a sort of an idea of what these high places were. 1 Kings 3, 1 and 2. So verse 1, and Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord, that's the temple and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord until those days. And so here we see that before there was a temple in Jerusalem, people would sacrifice to the Lord uh, in these high places. Now, after Asa's reforms and after the nation's revival, uh, these high places, the sacrifice there would be for the worship of Jehovah. We would assume that all the, if there was any idolatry associated with the high place, uh, Asa's agents would have gone in and got rid of the idols and, and uh, perhaps when the people came together and they covenanted it together to worship the Lord now, uh, we, we read that if, if there was a high place, and they were sacrificing, those sacrifices now were to Jehovah. And I suppose you can understand the people's motivation for doing this. There were no churches or synagogues for worship, the worship of Jehovah in those days. Uh, the worship of Jehovah was to take place in the temple which was in Jerusalem. And for most in Judah, uh, th- Jerusalem was miles away, perhaps many days journey. So a private or public high place close to home would have seemed like a good idea. Instead of having to spend a, you know, a whole week going down to worship, you could just go down to the local high place and give your sacrifice to Jehovah. So you can understand people's motivation. But these high places had the potential of being operated in opposition to the temple worship. That's the problem. Just go over to 2 Kings this time, 2 Kings 23, 2 Kings 23. And verses eight and nine. This was during the, during the reforms of uh, King, King Josiah. We read verse eight, and he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah And defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba and break down the high places of the gates that were in the offering, the entering, sorry, in of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on a man's left hand at the gate of the city. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places came not up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they did eat of the unleavened bread among their brethren. This was, I said, during the reforms attempted by King Josiah. He didn't have much success because the Babylonians were just around the corner. Josiah's sons and grandsons were, ended up being reprobates and they would eventually bring about the demise of Judah when the Babylonians came. But King Josiah had a good heart and he tried to bring about these reforms and he cleaned up the temple and made temple worship something that people now needed to do. But there were these priests... And these high places, at these high places that refused to go and sacrifice in the temple. And you can see how some of these high places must have been substantial operations. Now, if they had been an operation before there was even a temple, uh, they might have been there during the times of the judges. They were definitely there through most of the times of the kings. You can imagine the infrastructure that might have built up around these high places because we read here that they actually had priests for these high places. There were substantial operations with their own altars and priests. But we must worship God the way he told us to. We shouldn't make, our, 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 make up our own rules, even if it's more convenient and more culturally acceptable. We must stick to the book, stick to the way God told us to worship, even if it doesn't seem easy. But... Not even good King Asa could have these high places removed in Judah. These people, during his reign, I assume, worshipped the right God, but in the wrong way. But if we're going to worship the right God, we can only do it in the way that he told us to do it. But despite Asa's inability to have these high places removed, verse 17 tells us, that his heart was perfect all his days. So going back there to 2 Chronicles 15, but the high places were not taken out of Israel, but God didn't hold that against Asa because it says, nevertheless, the heart of Asa was perfect. Perfect all his days. (coughs) Despite Asa's inability to have these high places removed, God's word tells us that his heart was perfect all his days. Samuel the prophet, remember he told Jesse when he went to find a king uh, for, his, uh, for, for Israel. Uh, he went to the farm there and he went through all of Jesse's sons and uh, he, 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 he told Jesse uh, what God was looking for when looking for a king, what, what God wants. In a king, in 1 Samuel, you know the verse, 1 Samuel 16, 7, he told him, for the Lord seeth not as a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. It was on that basis, on the heart, that the Lord chose the youngest of Jesse's sons. It was the David the shepherd boy. He was, well, not surprising. He would be Asa's great, great, I think, great, great, great grandfather. God was looking for somebody after his own heart to be the king. Now in Acts 13 we read that David was the man after God's own heart and it tells us what it means to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Acts thirteen twenty two says he raised he raised up unto them David to be their king to me also gave testimony and said I found David the son of Jesse a man after mine own heart which shall fulfill all my will. To be a person after God's own heart simply means to be a person who will fulfill all of God's will. Just not a bit of what of God's will, not just my will and God's will, but my whole life and my whole purpose, my heart is to fulfill the will of God. That is a person who has a, a heart after God's own heart. And you know, that's what God wants, not just for kings, but for all those who call upon his name. We can all, and we should all, have a heart after God's own heart. It should be our desire to fulfill all God's will for our lives. And I think that's what it meant when it says in our verse that Asa had a perfect heart. He was a person who had a heart after God's own heart, just like his great-grandfather. David now as proof I think this verse comes straight after verse 17 as proof that Asa's heart was perfect we read in verse 18 that he rectified something that he neglected to do verse 18 it says as and he brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated silver and gold and vessels now, Asa did the grand things, the things that we like to talk about in our Sunday school classes and make a lot of. He, did the, he, he, he rid the Hulk, a kingdom of idols, and uh, he removed his mother from being queen. These are mad, magnanimous things. But for some reason, he'd kept back from the Lord the ties of the spoil that he and his father had won. Now, those battles... They had been won years before, decades before, concerning his father and even for himself. For some reason, he had kept back from the Lord those spoils of war that he had dedicated to the Lord. Perhaps uh, he'd just forgotten. You know, we can all forget to do things, can't we? Uh, Maybe that's he just forgot about them. Or maybe he just couldn't bring himself to parting with all that precious loot. It sounds great. Silver and gold and vessels. Maybe he saw that room and he said, oh, I know I've dedicated it to the Lord. I might need it one day. I don't know. I don't know why he hadn't done it. But for some reason, up until that point, years after the spoil had been taken, he had failed to give it to the Lord when he dedicated it to him. But because his heart was perfect with the Lord, the Holy Spirit must have brought this matter to his mind. So he brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated, silver and golden vessels. It was way after the fact, but he eventually must have been convicted by the Holy Spirit to do that. And he did what he said he would do. And, And brethren, for us to have a heart that is perfect with the Lord, we might need to rectify some neglect in our life. Uh, we may need to keep that which we've once dedicated to the Lord, but we've failed to deliver. The Lord has spoken to us about something. we said, yes, Lord, that's what I need to do. Or I need to, that's someone I need to forgive or that's some, 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 something that I have to, give, have to give back. But we've failed to deliver on what we said we would do. It might be that we haven't, been giving the tithe. It was easy when it was just a few dollars, but now I'm earning all this money. It's a lot of money to give to the Lord. Maybe you you haven't been giving the tithe. It might be that you've neglected prayer or even the prayer meeting. Some people are very, you know, almost regular prayer meeting and something happens. Change in their life. Prayer's not important anymore. It seems anyway. It might be that you're holding back something. That you promised to do for the Lord. But to have a perfect heart, we need to do something like King Asa did. He made up for the neglect, he rectified the neglect of the thing that he had dedicated to the Lord. And because of that, because he did, and because of all that we read in this chapter, we read this in verse 19, and there was no more war. the five and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa so this meant another ten years of peace in the land of Judah thanks mainly to this righteous king it was the peace of God it was God who gave the peace (laughs) a peace from war peace from internal strife you know we can all experience the peace of God if we make the similar choices uh, to King King Asa uh, Isaiah 26, 3, you know the verse, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, his mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. If we have our mind stayed on the Lord, if we are perfect in our heart, we want to do only his will, then he will give us perfect peace. So, up until this time of his reign, King Asa, he gets the tick of approval. I'll give him a couple. He's a good king. But will it last? We'll have to wait till next time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the wonderful example of uh, impartiality by King Asa. And we thank you for, Lord, here the fierceness of his desire to rid his country and even his house of the idols. Now, Lord, we thank you that he did have a perfect heart, despite some people in his kingdom not doing the right thing. You have, Lord, testified here in your word that he had a perfect heart all the days of his life. And uh, so we thank you for his example. We thank you the Lord. He was willing to, to make up for the neglect. He paid back the thing that he promised to do. And pray if there's any of these points that, Lord, touch our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would just now put the finger on whatever we might need to do. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.